encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. to another episode of the Busby Bay Podcast. Um, this is actually the Busby Bay Podcast and not the Busby Bay World Cup, the, 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 the World Cup Babes Podcast or whatever. We're going to save that for later because Manchester awful. United uh, decided to be a main character on Tuesday. Um, I've got Polly Questel and Nathan Heinchel with me, by the way. Um, and we're going to discuss... Manchester United potentially going through a change of ownership as well as terminating the contract of Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, guys, h- how are we feeling after the Tuesday news drop? Where, where were you when you found out that Cristiano Ronaldo was getting canned? Yeah, that was like Ian Dark <laughs> announced it during the World Cup game and I fired no, off a text yeah. to you guys right away. I was like, did I hear that right? No, yeah. As, as soon as he said that during a game, I, I like Googled and... Um, yeah, it, it was nice. We're um, I I I feel like it, it was like building up, and you know the the interview was so annoying, it was ridiculous. But like, it was kind of nice in the sense that it was just like this more like marking of the point that like this is going to happen now. You know, we right, don't have to deal with this with shit goodbye. anymore. Yeah, right. Over and done with. Goodbye. Uh, Brent went on a great. I told you so tour on Twitter, which. That was entertaining. Yeah. Um, I am, I'm not a better man than Brent. I just didn't feel like digging up my old tweets where I would to go on the similar "I told you so" tour. But maybe Colin could pull the "I told you so" podcast tour on it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Otherwise, there, there, we definitely have documented audio. <laughs> all three of us. Um, yeah, just over and done with. Goodbye, good riddance. Uh, let the door hit you on the on the way out. Apparently, he uh, released a picture wearing a watch of him scoring against United for Real Madrid earlier in the day. And then he, you know, releases a statement being like, I love United and I hope that they have great success in the rest of the season. It's like, hmm, which PR person had to write that for you? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he definitely. uh, Look, I wouldn't expect him to write it himself either. He's got a World Cup to prepare for as he tries to. torpedo his own country's chances of winning no yeah. uh, i was gonna try and play this but there was an ad so i had to turn it off but uh here we go now nope nothing no Good job. nothing yeah. damn i guess uh, you're gonna have to cut no. that part out now yeah i'm <laughs> gonna have to just like edit the the actual audio in. but uh, i mean we free you know this is um he showed his whole his whole ass to the entire world and he he very clearly expected the fan base to be on his side, or or like maybe at least his own fans to be on his side, and it's already really annoying that like people are trying to give him credit for the Glazers deciding to explore a sale of the club, but like which oh, which yeah, they've been the doing way, since the other news, which they had been doing since the summer, and like right they've they've was, already and was very like, obvious was very obvious that they were going to do that as soon as Liverpool announced that they were for sale. And it's very obvious why. Yeah. The um which which, you know, another reason to to maybe feel good from all this news is that uh, the the ambitions for a super league and 
possibly the next opportunity to actually increase the value of these clubs in a way that matters to people with that much money um, appears to be dead. So that's good news, at least. And I, I, th- I think with the pandemic and all that, too, it was probably a little bit of a motivation because I'm not sure if the way things have gone the past couple of years, they would have been able to sell at the price that they're um, reportedly looking at, which is somewhere around $10 I mean, we'll, billion. Dollars. We'll get to it. We'll get to it when we talk about this, but seeing what Chelsea just sold for and, and the super, like the super league was their new revenue stream. They, their plan was to come in and make European football, the NFL, the NFL of Europe, of Europe, and just sit back and collect money year after year after year and be untouchable the way that the NFL owners are. And once that died, they were like, well, now there's a lot of risk and you're you're already competing in a league where if you don't finish in the top four, it's a you're you're on such a tight margin that if you don't finish in the Champions League, it's a huge, huge loss. And now you're looking at seven teams competing for four spots rather than six. It's not a great business model. <laughs> no. Um but but yeah, I mean it's We'll have to deal with a whole slew of problems that come with who is actually going to be the next major investor. Uh, I'm I'm sure there will be plenty of consortiums of uh, potential bidders who have cool people attached like Lewis Hamilton and whoever else thinks it would be cool to be a, a part owner of a soccer don't, club. But Don't give me another person tainted by team viewer. <laughs> Yeah, but but I don't know. I like the idea of us bringing in a winner. Uh, really? How'd that work out a year ago? Lewis Hamilton. Literally, we just mentality. started. <laughs> we just started this show by saying, "Thank God we got rid of, you know, the serial winner person." <laughs> uh, Nathan. I mean, maybe what, to- maybe Total Wolf should come in as a director of football though, because he knows how to run an operation. I'll tell you what. I mean, is is the winning mentality going to rub off on the club in in that instance? I mean, look what's happened with the Denver Broncos this season. Yeah, well, if you want to talk about people who could be interested in trying to be part of an ownership group for Manchester United, um, Russell Wilson, stay stay at Colorado, big dog. Um, yeah, the the man United who... has as many Premier League championships as he has bathrooms in his house. But he doesn't have as many touchdowns as he has bathrooms in his house. I was just about to make a joke about that, but thank you, Nathan. You're welcome. I've seen the TikTok too, Colin. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've sent each other those TikToks. Um, but yeah, so uh, another aspect of um, removing Cristiano Ronaldo's contract, at least for the time being, where this sort of thing matters because the owners are not going to put that much more money into the club is that it frees up about 16 million pounds um, that would have been owed to Ronaldo over the rest of the season. And he's not going to get a penny from basically, I think the week that he did the interview. So that is, I mean, seems like an insignificant amount of money, but when it comes to the club's ability to do things in the immediate future, uh, for example, possibly finding a loan or, another Cavani like replacement in January so that we can have some depth at striker. Um, that could go a long way. It could, it Guys, could not, but 
it's it's hard to Odie, see them Odie reinvesting Odie that money. Is coming home, bro. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard Odie to see them reinvesting home. that money because they're trying to sell the club. So like there's two conflicting messages right there. Is one is all right, we let the striker go and and from a sporting perspective, we need to bring in a new striker. The other one is we are already, you know, we're trying to we're trying to get out, so why should we spend more money on this, especially as you know the opportunity to get a long-term striker is just not going to be there in January. So short term is the answer. So to, to go more expensive when you need your books to look better because you're trying to make a sale, it's, it's not likely the more likely scenario is let's put, if they sign a striker, I will, I will, I'm willing to bet. Now, if you know my world cup bets, I'm not, they're not looking too hot after one game, but it's early. I'm willing to bet if they sign a striker, it will not be somebody that the fan base likes. They'll be mad. Oh, but also, you're talking about uh, former Stoke bench player Chupa Moting? I mean, I would. Here's, here's what I'm going to say. That's the name that's the, getting thrown around a lot. It is the name that's getting I, thrown around. And guess what? He's been I've gotten, fine at, I've, at Bayern Munich. I've gotten like, talked into it. I've gotten talked into the it. The more the fan base hates the signing, the more I'll probably like it. Because yeah. the fan base only wants the fan base will sit here and tell you that we have been terrible for eight years because we stopped doing what we what we did best and we've only been chasing big names. And then they'll sit there and be like, you should sign that big name and that big name and that big name. And when we don't sign a big name, it's who the hell is that and why the heck did we sign it? And they they go crazy on that. And yeah, a lot of them haven't worked out, but the big names haven't worked out either. Odi Nigalo, like the way that they signed Odi Nigalo was a joke to the point Hilarious. of like, yeah, like to the point of basically being like, you're not going to get this guy and then being like, do you know of anybody else? And him, an agent just being like, what about Odi Nigalo? He's out in China. Odi Nigalo was the perfect signing for that team. And one of the signings in the last how many years that actually worked out exactly as intended the one knock on Igala was that it, they extended his loan. And once they extended his loan, he was useless. But when they brought him in in January, they literally needed a striker uh, to come in and play in the Europa League. For Rashford, for like the two or three months until everyone was healthy again. <laughs> right. Rashford was Rashford was hurt. So they needed somebody to play in the Europa League and to come on at the end of the game so that Marcial didn't have to play the full 90 minutes in every Premier League game. And he did that perfectly. And then... They extended his loan because of COVID and and because Project Restart took place after the six-month loan period, so they had to extend by another six months, and he was useless in the Premier League. And then they signed Cavani. They didn't need him anymore. But that initial six-month loan was exactly what they needed, and that's all they need right now is bring in someone who can eat up minutes, who can play in the Europa League, who he doesn't have to be a goal scorer as, as long as you know if he can do other things like get your teammates involved in the game the way Martial does so that Martial doesn't have to play every minute because, well, he's not going to play every minute because he's, he's got another two injuries left in his season. Yeah. Um, so, so Alexander Lacazette, it, it, it doesn't have to be a name that you like, if, if that's the profile that Chupa Moting is bring in Chupa Moting. Now, I don't know. I'm not saying to bring him in because I don't know enough specifically about him, but like it could be a name of a player who like was at a lower level table, lower, bottom of the table club in the Premier League. And you haven't thought about in five years that he might be the right fit for this team for the next six months. And in August might not be the right fit anymore, but that's fine. Bring him in on loan. Like 
the cheap option is not necessarily a bad option here. It's it, and it's certainly better than Burnley. it's certainly better than paying a lot of money for a bad option. I th- I think we can go ahead and rule out one of the rumors that was seemed semi-realistic, which was Ivan Tony from Brentford. Um, it does not appear that uh, that's not would... a cheap option, though. <laughs> no, I mean he on no planet would that one be cheap. I don't think he has too much left on his contract, but definitely Brentford being a mid-table side as opposed to a team looking like they'll be relegated uh, changes the pricing there as well as the right. And uh, also, like, remember, nobody went after him in the summer and there's reasons like the people inside of the game, people inside the game know a lot more than what happens publicly and they know things that are around uh, before they become like his betting habits. Yeah, something like that. I'm also, I don't want to say too much, but like certain players that don't get called up to national teams, like the, the managers know what's going on. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, uh, do we do we want to talk a little bit more about the ownership thing, or do we do we think we've uh, we, yeah we've kind of covered no we got to talk about that. Okay. So, well, and, um, Nathan. Oh no! Keep going. Sorry. How, um, how do you feel about this? Sea dog. Sea dog. It's tough. Um, well, it's early in the morning. We're recording this before. Yeah, you. yeah. Like, I've, hey, Mr. Hope, things are flying. I've spent the last three, four, five years or so grappling with the fact that when the Glazers did decide to sell Manchester United, it would be at a price ridiculous enough that the only people who could afford it would be. Um, at best, morally reprehensible. So, in terms of that, I've kind of come to an acceptance. Um, there are um, no good billionaires, Collins. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like they could sell it for a lot less, and you'd still only be getting morally yeah. reprehensible. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I've grappled with that. Probably depending on the severity, will determine um, how I actually feel about it at the time. But for now, you know, um, I, I think. I think we could postpone the conversations about what it would mean for the sport, but obviously Manchester United being owned by a state, for example, um, similar to PSG or Manchester city would be a little bit different than um, the owner of like a gas company with several other of his rich friends deciding to, to buy the club he supported since he was a child. Um, And, or, you know, I'm I'm just glad Elon Musk is out of it because I think we can see by now the um he wants to be in control of things uh <laughs> to uh, to a very personal level and a very weird level and uh I'm very glad that he spent 45 billion of his buckaroos on uh, something else instead of Manchester United. Imagine the shit post that would come out of the United account if Elon Musk ran it. Oh my god. He would there's, be siding with Cristiano Ronaldo at this point. He would be trying to like win him back. There's a lot. Of, would be a brand ambassador. There's a lot of the devil you know versus the devil you don't know with this sale. Like the Glazers are bad owners, and it's great that they're that they're going out. Like the way that they took over the team. I mean, they didn't even do it. It was their dad. They inherited this. They've never been interested in it. It's just a money grab for them. And now that the money's out, they want out. Fine. Go be on your way. Who's coming? Like the the notion that it doesn't get worse than the Glazers is not true. 
They are bad. You can get worse. Um, they are bad. They still outspent more clubs than basically they're, what they're third in the in the world in spending and in terms of transfer fees. Like in the last seven eight years, they've spent it. They've thrown that money. They've basically lit it on fire. They haven't spent well, but they've spent. It hasn't been their money. It's been the club's money. You could still get an owner that comes in that goes, not spending that much money, even though it's the club's money. So as Colin said, there's, you're either looking at two different options, and that is an oil state with likely very questionable human rights issues and um, racism and moral, like as Colin said, morally reprehensible, being the someone to take over. Or it'll probably be a group of American investors. As if you like pay attention, if you've I've seen a couple of business people get retweeted onto my timeline in the last 18 hours. And they talk about how, you know, Manchester United are in terms of like global reach, there's Manchester United, Barcelona, Real Madrid. So they're the only ones you can own for an investor. Like, so they're in a different bracket than say Liverpool who are also one of the biggest clubs in the world that like, there's still some sort of status in terms of owning them that like, you might get an investor investor groups would want to get them. But here's the thing about investors. Investors are looking for return on investment. They are looking to make money here. So the fans just want someone to come in and invest, 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 and spend money left and right. An investor's not going to do that. They'll spend money. I mean, Liverpool fans think that FSG is not spending enough money, but like a smart investing group is probably going to spend as much as they did. And you're not going to get someone who's going to bankrupt themselves to make their childhood club, to try to make their childhood club the best that it can be. Uh, we see that everywhere else in the in the pyramid is how, how many in the at this point now it's trickled down to the the lower leagues. We don't really see it in the Premier League anymore, but the lower leagues, the Championship, League One, League Two. How many times does a club get air quotes saved by the local businessman who, like within two years, bankrupts himself because he's throwing money into the club and they're not getting promoted and they don't go up and and suddenly it's like oh we've run out of money again. You're not going to get someone that does that, most likely. And if you do, like, it's do you want a Todd Bowley who is basically running the club the way I would? I would come in and say, I want to do it my, my way. I think I know what I'm doing. Whether he does or not, it's still too early to say. But right now, we would all feel pretty confident in saying he doesn't. And he's doing some questionable things. Maybe he'll prove us wrong in three or four years. But we are confident to say he doesn't know. Like, do you want if, that? If he signs Cristiano Ronaldo in January, that would be that would be like icing something. on the cake. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, is that the like? Do you want that? Do you want one guy to come in and be like, "I'm going to do it my way"? Like, there, there's two things at play here, and it's one is, well, like, what if the sport just becomes this? If you're not the oil, you can't compete, and and the league is just owned by. City and Newcastle at the top for, you know, for a long time. 
then it's like, well, what what difference does it make who our owner is? And it's and that's a very bleak and pessimistic worldview to take. Um, the other area is you go, if you go the other way, like can you compete with those teams? You look at what Liverpool did, and they did everything perfectly and built up one of the best teams the Premier League's ever seen. They had, they finished with over 95 points in consecutive years. Like, just built an absolute juggernaut. And they won relatively little for how good they were. They won one league title, one Champions League, a couple domestic cups, a club World Cup. That's it? Like, it's so hard to compete with... um with these clubs right now, you have to do everything perfectly. And that's why if United, my, my stance is if United are going to get a good owner who is going to do things the right way and make them long-term competitive, fans are going to hate them, hate him within two or three years because they want someone that's going to come in and start spending money. But if you look at what Liverpool did, those guys took over in 2010 and they said, we got to build from the ground up, we're building out this analytics department. We're, we're building everything. That took them. It took them three years just to get the team in place to hire the guys. And then it took them another three-ish years. Then they had to like build the database, build the models, build all the assessment tools and everything. And that took them a, another three or four years before they got to the point where they're like, all right, we're ready to get good now. And then they got good. This was not a three to five year process. This was like a, eight to nine year process. Well, and, even in these nation state ones, it's been processes, you know, C- city put in the foundational pieces. So that way when Pep Guardiola came in, it was go time. Uh, Newcastle, we're watching them right now do that. Like they didn't go out and start splashing cash. The moment the ownership group cleared, instead they brought in competent pieces. They brought in a competent manager to get them into a position where they're playing champions league football. And then you might see them start putting their, you know, foot on the gas in the next year or two. Um, so I think it's all about how do you, your connections with the fan base, um, which hopefully might improve if you get the right owner in there that's willing to assure the fan base and, and, and keep that open line of communication so that way you don't have open discontent just on the internet. Because I think you're always going to have some of that because people are idiots i.e. all the people that Mark Kastner quote tweets on Twitter uh, related to Liverpool stuff. Um, and you just, as long as the people who come into Old Trafford every you know weekend, week out are happy, I think that you can be successful um, by doing things correctly. Yeah, Newcastle are what scares me because they got so good so quickly. And, and the process that they're undertaking shouldn't, shouldn't have taken this, it, it should have taken at least another year. But you bring up City, and it wasn't even just—it wasn't even just in the Pep Guardiola time. Like City came in, and, and they just splashed money. They just threw money around. Now, granted, in 2009, the scouting and and every all those things were primitive compared to what we have now, and they were basically just like, oh, let's sign the best players from the teams right above us. So they went and signed Everton, yeah. Aston Villa's their best players, jumped them. Then we went, let's sign Arsenal's best players. Yeah. It took and, a and lot also- of weight. And also directly targeted um, players that were linked with like Chelsea, Manchester United, um, the you know the Premier League competitors at the time, particularly yeah. when taking players from Arsenal and then like, you know players Fabian from La Liga Del, like David Silva, Joey and, yeah. Joey and Lescott, um, 
you know, uh, yeah. Jack Rodwell. They just went after the best players for the teams directly above them, went, now we have those guys, so you're worse, we're better. And then let's go after Arsenal's guys. And it, it still took them like five years to win the league. Yeah. Four years, maybe. They haven't had the success in, in Europe yet, but all the while they they were undertaking some changes. And the, the line of thought now is that the analytics and everything is what levels the playing field. Is if you don't have the money to compete at the top, is you use these analytics to get better. And that's how Tottenham built themselves from this mid-table team into this team that was perennially like right. Even in the Gareth Bale years, they they had already like hired an exclusive uh stats company. Like they were Tottenham were like the first in the league. Um and Arsenal did the same thing and 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 Arsenal went and got bad for years before they've fine like if you if you ask somebody who are the top analytics teams in the league right now, they'll tell you it obviously Liverpool is the prime example and Arsenal are right right there. Who has the biggest analytics department in the league? Manchester City. Who gives their analytics guys the biggest seat at the table? Manchester City. So like even if you get an owner that does things right exactly right and like it takes you that long term time to get there you're still up against it every single year and like if that's the case then like good you have some battles and you compete and when and you'll be there that's the best case that's you know not the best i don't want to say best case scenario because i don't want to say it's like i don't want to make it sound all doom and gloom but like that's with a good owner there's a lot of real good chance like most of the guys out there might be a little bit more stingent with their money are going to very much the, the whole, the thing that Arsenal did brilliantly was they said, it doesn't matter where we finish. We're building out this team so that we're ready to jump up and be good. Whereas you could tell how United operate. They're not willing to do that. They are willing. They are only willing to be bad for United is fourth place. And they will spend to make sure that they stay there because if they don't finish in the Champions League, the windfall is so big that they end up staying in this zone where almost mediocre. It's they're almost that like six, seven, eight, nine seed in the NBA where you have no realistic shot at winning the title, but you have no shot at getting a good draft pick and like turning yourself around. So you just stay in that perennially. We're a playoff team, but one series, maybe one round, two rounds and done. The 90s Cavs. Yeah, and like if if you fall into an investor group, you could very well stay in that in that zone. Yeah. Keeping with that NBA theme, I wouldn't be surprised if a name that gets thrown around would be like a Steve Ballmer as far as like the quote unquote good ones, as far as a guy who comes in who probably could afford the sale by themselves. Um he's fun. And the, the and good news is who is who is personally invested in seeing the team succeed. Like there's, there's a reason why he's so red faced on the sidelines of Clippers games. Cause he wants to see that team succeed. Um, and he's shown that he wants to go out and get good players for that team. Uh, you know, Paul George and, um, um, Kawhi, oh my Leonard. Gosh. Uh, Kawhi Leonard. Like, yeah, that's, that's how often he's been playing that. I can't remember his name right now. Like he went out and got the players. Finals but MVP. Then, yeah, it just it hasn't clicked for him yet. So that's that would be going to your your not so positive NBA point there, Polly would be. But, I would, um, no, I would. 
like what you reminded me of, though, is if I had my choice of American billionaires, et cetera, I'd probably want somebody from the NBA because the NBA guys seem to they, they all embrace the the NBA is, is really um, baseball is what started the analytic movement. But like the NBA is where it really took off, became much more mainstream. And all these NBA guys are into it and because they're all looking to win. And that's the big thing. Everybody that gets into the NBA really wants to win in there. And, th- and so they've all embraced it and they'll, they'll do things the right way if they buy a football club, but also these NBA, like that's an important thing is they, they want the status and they want to win. They're all willing to hire the, you know, you don't really get owners, owners slash GMs in the NBA. A lot of them sit, like you say, they sit courtside and they, and they're outspoken and it's, and they want that status but they've hired really good people to run their team to give them a winner. And you'll bring that to a football club where you do want a guy who wants the status and wants to win. You don't want a guy who runs through, you know, looks over his balance sheets and, and, you know, this is just an asset to him. And he goes, I have to spend X amount of money on this club every year, but it's bringing me in this much money. And, you know, I'm, I'm making how much money off this club every year. And eventually I'm in 20 years, I'm going to sell it. You want hey, that Colin, guy that earmuffs. wants to win. Earmuffs, Colin. Uh, it, I think a best case scenario would be that consortium of uh, investors that run the Warriors. Because you got guys like Joe Lake who have come in and they like being celebrities in San Francisco. And they've built a team that is so analytics driven. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I hate the Warriors because um, they haunt my... <laughs> My uh, we, my dreams, but also like names of like tons if we of could get and... if we could get a Golden State Warriors version of Manchester United, I mean I'm down with that. Yeah, we could throw out the names of tons of billionaires and sports owners right now. The, the number one thing is that they have to be interested in football and want to do this. Right <laughs> at Mark Cuban. <laughs> so um, yeah, I'm at, we're I think we're gonna end part one here. Um, cause we are kind of getting on and, uh, I, we would like to talk about the world cup as well, but, um, I'm sure Manchester United will have more news about this kind of stuff rolling in over the course of the world cup. So, um, we'll keep you guys up to date on that and on here and on the site. So, um, yeah, we'll be back for part two to talk about the U S men's national team and, and friends. And we're back. So, the World Cup. We'll we'll start with USA uh, drawing one one with Wales because I imagine this is the game that both of you have the most to talk about, and I also have thoughts. So, it's it, there's the most to talk about bro. because like the World Cup's been pretty blah so far. Yeah, there's been a couple really interesting games and like fun upsets but for the most part there's been two it, great upsets we're, we're currently yeah. recording this while spain are running costa rica off the pitch yeah um there's been three no my, my world cup pick looking good right now <laughs> yeah there's just yeah uh, other than that like a couple of you know some hilarious uh, the first half of saudi arabia and argentina was hilarious that argentina couldn't figure out that high line and they just kept being offside and then two crazy moments and then what happened to Argentina was what happens to good teams when they're down by a goal is late on later on the, as you keep playing your game. And then when it's not working, 
and you start to press forward, like they had no idea how to chase a game. So like their ideas were, they, it was just get the ball wide to Di Maria and let him cross it in. All right. So and I guess we're talking about of, this game instead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just, I'm covering the, the one of the two interesting games. Like right. I'd almost say that the U S and Wales was, was probably like the, the third most interesting game in this tournament so far. Yeah. I mean, I, so I, I wrote about the Saudi Arabia beating Argentina for SB nation. And um, I kind of borrowed the, the Twitter thread that JJ Bull posted about it. Um, he, he does TIFO IRL videos and whatnot, but it, it, like you said, Polly, it was just Argentina not figuring out really either way to attack Saudi Arabia because in the first half, there was a lot of space in behind and they tried to take advantage of that, but there was a very organized offside trap that they had three goals disallowed for offside. Um, one of them was potentially controversial when it comes to the offside law, because it was the player's arm that was offside. Um, and that's, uh, it included his shoulder, which is a part of the body you can score with. So it was offside, but it was a very minimal advantage. If, if any, uh, that ruled out Lataro Martinez's goal, and then Saudi Arabia only had three chances in this game, two of which were the goals that were on target. I think collectively it was like 0.16 XG uh, for them in this match. And they I were think the terrific. third chance was the shot that got blocked. Yeah. And like, they were and they scored on the rebound. finishes. Like the first one was from a really tough angle and he got it with his left foot. It went just past uh, Emmy Martinez uh, and went, you know, perfectly into the bottom right corner. And then the second goal by, uh, was it Salem? Yeah, Salem Aldasari. He kind of like takes it on the turn after it seemed like the chance had gone, and he has a defender closing him down as he makes the shot and curls it into the top right corner. And I think Martinez got a hand to it as well. It was just it was too powerful. It kind of went through his hand. So it, and then after that, it was like Argentina had no midfield. Um, their only their only real idea seemed to be let's just lob it into the into the forward area where they don't really have forwards that have aerial abilities other than Lotaro Martinez but he didn't have another chance for the rest of the game I mean they got on the end of some of those crosses yeah I mean Messi could have chances, scored if, if he had headed yeah it you need to do more than that and it sort of just played into Saudi Arabia's hands and like I said this is we see the same thing like when City lose to Norwich. It's the same thing. It's because Norwich suddenly stunned them with a win, with a lead, and City had no idea how to chase the game. It's how it's how they lost to Brentford because they had no like Brentford were Brentford were level with them, but like Brentford were totally content to get a point and sit back and and just get the point. And City had no idea like at at that point they're throwing ten men forward and they had no idea what to do because everything wasn't working. And they're like, we don't usually chase games like this. And then Brentford managed to score at the very, very end. But yeah, when you get good teams on the ropes like this, it, it often it plays into their hands, um, which is which is part of why Fergie's United were so good because they didn't panic like this. They they kept playing their games. And uh, Solskjaer's team two years ago got all those late goals because they they didn't throw reckless throw people recklessly forward. They just kept playing their game and said the chances will come, the goals will come. Um, Spain just scored again, so we're we're in full on blowout mode. Nathan, here. were you um, up at four or five a.m. for? Oh, so you're like Argentina ten seconds ahead of me, Polly. Uh, I was up, but not for the game, as you guys know. I was traveling um, to see family uh, for the holiday, but um, 
I heard about it. Um, the 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 subsequent podcasts I've heard about it. It just er, everything that I, I've come to understand from this game is it was classic like FIFA division rivals bullshit. You know, like you're just you have the better chances and you don't finish, and then some person that you only give up two shots to scores two goals and you lose two one. Uh, and your rank goes down in FIFA 23, and you just want to, like, spike your controller. Um, do you think Messi spiked a controller last night? I don't know. He didn't look like he was feeling much of anything. And then immediately there were the typical rumors, like, Messi's going to retire from Argentina after this, which, like, of course, so, he, he might do that if they win. I mean, I think he's kind of like... Yeah. He's already done that, like, several yeah, times. He's at the end of his road <laughs> with this team. This is, like, this is it for him, you know? The, re- the reaction was kind of interesting. Uh, the football ramble noted, noted this when I, when I was listening to it. Um, because of the time of when the match happened, it, it seems as though the reaction towards the game has been a little bit muffled just simply because, you know, it was, I think, technically in Argentina, it might have been five in the morning, not four in the morning uh, when that game kicked off. So um, outside of the sickos committee, for world football, like a lot of people were just asleep, and so it was just like they didn't see. I'd assure you that everyone in Argentina was awake. I don't know. I mean, there's probably plenty of normal people who are like, I have work there, in the morning. Like, I if can't you're wake up that if early. you're any if you're any level of football fan in Argentina above very casual, you wake up for at four in the morning for that match. You you might not wake up at four in the morning for all the early matches. But you're waking up, like, would it was is it if the U.S. kicked off at three a.m. Is it a question whether you and I would be awake right now? I, well, not, well, not right now, but policy. for that match, for that match, you know my policy. I don't settle. You're not waking games. up. You're not waking up for a U.S. World Cup game, especially not after that Wales game. No. If it was the opening <laughs> game, you think I'm gonna wait? You think I'm gonna wake up at three a.m. to watch Greg Berhalter's U.S. Men's National Team? I mean, again, if it was the opening game and we didn't just see with the dog shit that we saw against against dude Wales. i don't i don't know as we know my policy i don't set alarms for games i get i could get i can assure you that if if i walked into a bar at 4 a.m for the kickoff it'd be full for a u.s game i guarantee you all of buenos aires was awake for that game um, yeah i don't know what you're talking about with normal people have you seen every other country when it comes to soccer Nathan? exactly <laughs> i think I, there could I, I think there's there could be a lot of Argentine Nathans who are like, I just don't set alarms for games. <laughs> you see how no. many people on Monday called in sick for work so they could go yeah. throw beer on each other in London? <laughs> Colin. <laughs> Co- Colin's correct here. And like let's let him bask right. in that because he's not going to be correct probably for the next 20 minutes. Damn. Why why is that? Well, how about this? Should we can we just get it out of the way now? Should we just clear the floor so that way Colin I was gonna, can gush about England? Oh, I was gonna do that. I was gonna bring up Germany. Because I was, I was no, gonna... we don't need to talk about that. Same thing. They they had a lot of chances. They didn't take them. Jap- Japan oh. scored twice. We're good. Well, is it? I think it's just weird that like even with it, it seems like Germany is going to be in control, and still, you know, like statistically, you look at that game, and it's like, yeah, Germany had the ball. They had it forward for a lot of the game, and they didn't take advantage of it. But like, this is just a team that for the last few tournaments does not control the way that you've gotten used to Germany controlling things. It's like their 2014 World Cup run. And the subsequent runs and tournaments that came up short before that were all based around Germany's ability to just like stack a bunch of midfielders Play on the pitch. Yeah, and negate the possibility of conceding as much as possible. It's like now they have I mean, a bunch I mean, of those players still. 
They just in don't 2014, do that. They don't have the forwards. They don't have the forwards. Like the, Kai Havertz. Kai Havertz was like I was a big Kai Havertz fan. He just hasn't developed. And it's like, what are you? But like they had 74 percent of the possession. They they had 26 shots. Uh, 3.27 xG. Like they they did their job there. They didn't finish. But what that also tells you is that they left the door open for counterattacks. And Japan hit them early. With Japan went up one 0 but it was immediately flagged back for offside and a hilarious. Um, offside goal. If you didn't see it, the striker never even tried to check his run. Like it was like just so blatant, and he was offside by a mile because he never even broke stride in an area where you had to check your run. But like you gave up twelve goals, one point four xg. That's those are good chances too. Like and and you look at the shot map; they're all inside the box, which means which tells you. Um, I mean, we watched again, so we know, but like, if you were just looking at this map, you'd be able to deduce a lot of these came on counterattacks and they got good chances. And if that's, what's going to happen, if you're going to be open, if you're going to leave yourself open while having 74% of the possession, you better convert on your chances. And Germany didn't. I said this on our preview pod. I think Japan has a bunch of really good players. Um, they do. I, and kind of low key in this tournament, because I, I think, you know, a point someone made on Twitter earlier. I think it was Ryan Rosenblatt. Uh, Fox doesn't really have commentators who know anything about teams other than about the US. anybody. Yeah, Fox's <laughs> Fox's uh, Fox's qualifications seem to be: Did you play for the U.S. men's national team? Or the, or just, the and then they're like, oh, we, and then and then they go, oh, did you play? Okay, did you play for the U.S. women's national team? And then yeah. they go, well, we need some other people too. So it's, did you did you play for for England's women's team? Oh, okay, we're good here. Oh, oh, you're yeah, Warren Barton and you've been working for the network since 1990? Okay. Yeah, the, uh, I, the World I did Cup not... is the only time that Fox Media is like super cool with using pronouns. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I haven't, I don't think I've seen my Warren Barton since like Fox Soccer Channel days. Um, he pops up during these international tournaments because yeah. they like bury him on the, on the end of the broadcast and, uh, yeah, I mean, he was, he pops up for some other things, but like, yeah, they don't, they don't do a yeah. lot of soccer these days. <laughs> I mean, this was the problem with their 2018 coverage too, is like their lead commentary team is John Strong and Stu Holden, which is fine. I like them as MLS commentators. They're fine for like gold cup U S men's national team coverage, but they're just stuck in this mindset of the American it has to be so- American. Yeah. The American soccer. And it's a JP Camara is right there. Yeah. But it's like over the last eight years with the U.S. men's national team not being very good, and even before that with them being okay, it's like U.S. soccer's interest in the sport has developed because of club football and these other superstars. So like La Liga and, of course, the Premier League primarily, and, you know, some Bundesliga as well. So it's like it seems like just from this World Cup coverage, maybe using MLS and U.S. men's national team analysts who like exclusively work with MLS and the men's national team is not a very good idea for a public that probably has a higher understanding of the sport than that. Right. And, and like you said, I, yeah, it's annoying even for the U S games, but like all the other, if you wanted to just go down that route, like when they, for the 2018 world cup, when they had Fernando Palomo, I believe is his name. Uh, the, the it's soccer time guy. And they like specifically hired him to do like the, the Mexico games. And then they gave him a few other games. It's like, you want to do that for your specific team? Fine. But like the other games, you're through no fault of their own. 
there is a broadcaster who has the two most famous U.S. calls. It, uh, like, may, I, I don't want to say of all time because the 1989 goal against like Costa Rica is probably up there, but not one single fan can actually tell you what that was. Is so, it the? Is it the? It's in the net guy. No, just whoever called the game for the one when they won that game. Like that was probably a big call when they scored the goal when they were. No American remembers that. Like if you bring up, if you go to any U.S. fan, I mean the the demographic of like hardcore U.S. national team fans is going to skew towards people our age and a little bit older and a little bit younger than us, and most of them aren't going to really have memories prior to at earliest 1998 the two biggest if you ask them what the two biggest calls are it's going to be donovan's goal against algeria and john brooks's goal against ghana called by the same guy so that guy's just sitting there in every u.s so like he's the most he's the broadcaster associated with u.s soccer the most over the last decade plus and that's not fox's fault they didn't have the rights he happened to be in the right place at the right time he's the guy that everybody is begging hire this guy and let him call our matches and they went out and hired him and then they still give us john strong yeah look the talent bookers at fox will have to answer to their gods at someday that we don't have champions league gus johnson uh doing oh my god guitar but, and, but like the other thing is the analyst <laughs> is is just it's just who played for the U.S. national team. Like Kobe Jones happens to be very good. Landon Donovan's quite annoying. Paid Mexican fan Landon Donovan, quite annoying. Like Stu Holden is Stu Holden. Like, but it's like, where's, you know, it just, it seems. Good, I don't good. think Dempsey's any of them pretty fun, but they keep sticking him on Dempsey's the desk. Dempsey's fun. Yeah. Yeah. They have all the, they have all the Americans from CBS's coverage, but they refuse to put them together. Like they but have, also, Kate, thank God, they have at least Dempsey, they have on... Moadu, they just refuse to put them together. They and, and like it's not to say that that Donovan or or Jones or Holden are bad. It, it, your opinion might be that they are. I don't think that they're that bad, but it's like what qualified them to get this job, right? So... Thank God, Dempsey's at least on the pregame stuff, though, because I mean there has to be uh, a foil to elect, just like. Nonstop Alexi Lawless. I mean, oh and, and Carly and Lloyd. It's just, and it's it's Carly it's Lloyd has been. This? I I I really don't want to pile on because I know the internet will do that for me. But Carly Lloyd has been not good, <laughs> and in in I I understand the contributions that she's made to the U.S. Women's National Team, and I want to. Th- thank her for her service in those areas because she was a lot of fun to watch as a player. But in the last two years, she's really kind of shown her ass on the internet as far as kind of what her values are. Um, She's gotten political recently and, you know, Fox doesn't care, but I think the uh, aggressively online uh, soccer fan in the, in our country really doesn't like Carly Lloyd. So it's kind of baffling that they brought her on for the stuff too. she She doesn't look comfortable doing it either as far as like the broadcasting so their whole coverage doesn't make sense to me because like who who do they think wants what they have what do they think people want they went to brazil espn invited them along to go to brazil for the 2014 world cup to like learn how to do this because at that point 
they had already that it was already known Fox had won the rights to the 2018 World Cup is starting the following year with the Women's World Cup. And you look at what ESPN had. They they had their U.S. guy. That was Alexi Lalas back when he was actually tolerable and good. And like they put him with McManaman and Mikhail Bollock and, um, you know, Casey Keller was there. Taylor Twelman was there. But you also had uh, Julie Foudy was there. So they had their U.S. people. You also had Roberto Martinez, Ruben Nisteroy. All these other players, uh, Rude Gullet might have been on ESPN's coverage at one point. Does Fox think you're only going to tune in if if you have a recognizable name like ESPN? You know, Shaka Hislop, like you're not, people our age aren't going to know who Shaka Hislop is or uh, FN Akuku or Craig Burley. Yeah, well, you have Stevie these Nichols. people, but like the 2014 <laughs> World Cup was like fantastic. Their coverage was unbelievable because it was like once they started talking. You have me locked in. I want to listen. I don't, and I wanted to listen, not because I knew who you were, but because it was very clear right away that you were saying interesting things and that I was going to learn things from you and that you had valuable insight. Like it's not, oh, you were the cap, you scored a a hat trick in the women's world cup final, or you you played in the, in the Korea, Japan world cup for the, for the U S like, the Moa do Chad Johnson segment. I was like, I'm going to stick around for this because these guys are at least fun. Like whether, but they're in between show, especially because of all the added injury time that bleeds over into the next hour. They're in between game show. Doesn't talk about the previous match. They don't talk about the upcoming match. They just give you three second segments and commercials. You needed to pay all these people to like come out to Qatar to be the prominent names when you're barely even giving them airtime. And then, Right after the last game of the day, they like they rushed themselves off the air. And I think there's a show later that night. Nobody's flipping a Fox Sports one at 10 o'clock to watch your late. Like, I want to watch your, your World Cup recap show at five o'clock or at four o'clock when the last game ended. It, it boggles my mind of like, who do they think they're appealing to here? Yeah. Um, so I, I, well, don't worry, is... I'm sure they're going to learn their lessons for 2026. Yeah, yeah right. Um, so to move this along and end the podcast, cause I do have to get back to work. Um, talking about the USA versus England, Nathan, what, what are the USA vibes after, after the first game? Um, the vibes are tepid. Um, whatever the, the thing that's concerning based on the Wales game was the U S looked good in the first half. Also, Wales didn't look great in the first half, so those two things combined, I think maybe overinflated how good the U.S. looked in the first half. But there was a lot of bright points. What concerns me is you've got a couple guys on some bad yellow cards because I don't think we need to go into it. We already know like the officiating in that game was pretty horrendous um, and wildly inconsistent, and we're going to pay for those sins um, if certain guys pick up yellow cards in this game. I love when there's like a throwaway yellow card at the 28th minute of like the opening game and you realize like, oh crap, like that could come back to two games later. That could really be a problem. Yeah. I mean, you got Weston McKinney and Serginio Des picked up back-to-back yellow cards inside what the first 15 minutes. And uh, guess what? You need to have Weston McKinney able to make a professional foul in the midfield sometimes. And so that's potentially going to be an issue. The other well, thing in too theory, is Weston you McKinney, only get one of those a game. Like, in theory, if you yeah. commit a professional foul, you will get booked. Yeah, Kellen Acosta, exactly. Um, shout out to him. That's the best foul of his career by far. 
because um, we would have lost that game had he not just taken out Bale right there. That would have been um, such an think, awesome it, goal, though. I mean, not, it, not from it, like the again, US Colin, perspective. Colin, but... we're warning you. Was it Keys that tweeted out? He was like, "That that honestly should count as a clear goal scoring opportunity. It should be a penalty." <laughs> yeah, I think we all trust Gareth Bale enough to, that he would score from there. Like, yeah, he was winding he was t- up. He, he, oh yeah, he had the sandwich out. He was ready to chip it. Um, Colin, how but, worried? How worried are you about Harry Kane? Um, be fine. I mean, I don't feel great because it was a problem coming in. Um. I think, though, I'm probably going to regret saying this because he is insanely talented and vital to the way England tries to attack. I'm confident enough that I think the rest of England's forwards can get the goal-scoring job done. The problem is obviously the work that Kane does off the ball and in build-up and creating space for those other players. I think Saka, in particular, had an incredible day. Um, in the opener against Iran. And it, I mean, just, you know, on the emotional side of things, it was great to see him and Rashford get goals after uh, what happened with the Euro final at their last tournament. Um, I would hope, you know, maybe Marcus Rashford can come in and play striker. Um, he's not going to do anywhere near the same kind of things that Kane does. But um, if England have the ball right. forward enough against the USA, I would think that maybe that doesn't matter so much. Uh, I think what I does... This, might switch up. This MFR. This MFR, he said exactly what I was gonna say. I think I think they can <laughs> replace Kane's. I think they can replace Kane's goal scoring. But like all the other things that Kane does to make room for everybody else, they yeah. that is is definitely a. It's gonna question. show up. It's gonna show up against better teams because they're not gonna have the ball forward as much as they did. Uh, oh know, no! Then the I th- against better teams, I think you're. I think they're in better shape because like yeah, then Rashford just oh, runs free. You could just like counterattack. Yeah, with you don't Rashford need to create. You don't Saka. need to create all that space. It's it's it's. That's the thing that will be interesting to see. And like, does maybe Mason Mount take on more of that or something? And somebody else, you know, somebody else does something, or maybe Jack Grealish comes into the team. To, yeah, to I was going to say things. that. I wonder if Jack Grealish is going to start at left wing to kind of bring a little bit more creativity in the forward line that you're missing from yeah. Kane being right. There. So it, it, uh, it's just, one of those things yeah. where, like, in theory, you could, um, in theory, you can, you can plot out all the different ways that we could overcome this. Or it could be one of those things where within six minutes, it's like watching United without Bruno and you go, oh, yeah, this is missing. <laughs> yeah, I think that might happen if he plays Callum Wilson. Um, oh, you know, yeah. No disrespect to Callum Wilson, but he's not on the level of the rest of England's forwards, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Not to discount what Harry Kane does, but I, I really don't think, at least here in the group stage, this is a huge, huge miss for England. I, I think mean, they can make they up for it. They still definitely have to get a win against USA and then feel comfortable against Wales. It would be because... really nice if like Kane just missed one game and they lost to the USA and then he was back and, and, they, needed the to get, and then they needed to get a win against Wales. I mean, that would be really funny <laughs> for you guys. Um, but you, you know. guys, this guy. I mean, oh would it be God. funny for us or would it be advantageous for us? It would be funny for Rob McElhaney. <laughs> can, you, can you believe this? This man said you people to us. Yeah, I said to you guys, mm. like like like, we're, like we don't all talk about the USMNT at random points throughout a Manchester United season. Now, when it actually matters, and we're in a World Cup, all of a sudden he's like, "I'm more of an England fan." No, not no, 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 not even I'm more of an England fan. Colin, like without even hesitation, was just like, "I'm a huge England fan." I'm like the U, I got the US mean 
mean nothing to me. And I'm like, all right, like I can they, understand. They don't mean nothing being, to me. I can understand you being an England fan, but like you're they don't, also they don't a US mean nothing fan. to me. And like the breakdown, the breakdown that you would expect would be somewhere between 5149 to like 6040. And Colin's like, no, 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 it's 991. I'd say it's like that was 80, a nice 20. from Gavi just now, by the way. I mean, okay, it's not okay. even 80-20. It's not even 80-20. I grew up with an English father showing me football and coaching me in football. I grew up watching all my favorite players play for England. The I US get it. No, I'm, I, I'm an England fan, yeah. too. I'm an England no. fan, too. But, like, when England is drawn in the same group as the U.S., not a chance. Like, again, I root for England because they had Wayne Rooney, favorite player. Like, And then and they've continued to do that, and I need a team to root for, and I... I also find some other teams to cherry pick because I enjoy watching some of their players. And this tournament has been more difficult because my favorite players are all hurt. But like when they're drawn in the same group as the U S it's not a question. All right. Well, and yeah. Oh God, Greg Berhalter going to ruin my on. It's just unbelievable how we let this guy manage this team. And we're still, and we're letting him manage another game. I I do want to talk about that a little bit because I mean, like Nathan alluded Old to brother, and talking about, stinks. yeah, like the U S controlled the first half of that game against Wales. Wales were not playing very well until the second half. And the U S still had no idea what to do with the ball in the final third. Their only this, idea well, this was, is, okay. So this is how, like we've heard this given who our managers, whom our manager, the three, the United manager is now who it was. We have heard uh, clear idea of how you want to play identity, etc. A lot, and that was one of the things that a big time champion on Greg Berhalter. If he has a clear idea of what he wants to do, how he wants to play, and he does, doesn't have the players to do it. <laughs> and <laughs> throughout his whole time, he's been like shoving, he's been shoving like hoof it away first, just get rid of it defenders from MLS into the back line, where he's then been like play out the back. I've been like, John Brooks, we don't need you. Uh, we don't want you. Uh, now, John Brooks has been hurt for most of the last four years. He has not played well in a, in a U.S. shirt. So, like, this isn't about we're missing him. Like, But you look at the pass map of this match against Wales, and it's he wants these wide overloads, which has been very drilled into the team. And it's been drilled into the team since the jump. Like his teams have all been the same of wide overloads on the outside. And then just, but then you're crossing it in. You're just, there's no inventiveness in the final third. It's just get it wide and cross to, we don't have a striker. and Or get de- the ball to Pulisic and hope he does something. You could debate the strikers that are here and the strikers that are left at home. But in reality, we have, I don't know, two, three strikers that are in Qatar right now who do not score consistently. And we have a couple of strikers that were left at home who also do not score consistently. Like there is no consistent striker and you're playing this, Oh, cross it into the big man thing. When you have guys like Pulisic and Musa and McKinney and Weah and Gio Reyna. And it's like, you should be able to let these players cook and come that was up the greatest with sin. Raina not coming and, in was and, the greatest and sin come, in that game. And, and come up with things that aren't just, hey, we've got these creative players who are now going to pass to our overlapping fullbacks uh, for crosses. So like they, 
they had all this possession. They couldn't get any shots because, well, Josh Sargent doesn't do anything off the ball. And you put in a championship striker, one who's not even tearing it up in the championship, expecting him to just suddenly get on the end of all these crosses. Like, that's not his game. And Berhalter did it, but like, he's been doing this forever. When he first got here, it was Giassi Zardes was playing that role. And we were like, why the hell are we watching Giassi Zardes again? You, you could do these things at Manchester City because you have players and and you have inventiveness and all this stuff and then the overloads if you and, try and to do that a with a 6 foot 4 terminator who can right, do whatever if you try to do that with the lack of talent at the at the U, at the United States you're going to get found out really quickly and in this particular case it was I'll give him one benefit of the doubt here he came on after the second, after halftime, and he said, well, we have this one nothing lead and Wales are going to start pushing at us and we've got to kill them in the, tra- we've got to kill them in transitions. And you know, and the U.S. had a million chances in the next like 15 minutes to get counterattacks and kill them off. And Christian Pulisic stopped on every ball in the midfield circle and refused to do it. And that is the big thing. Like Christian Pulisic was supposed to be the greatest soccer player this country's ever developed. And he is really, really good. He is not developed into the superstar that we hoped he would. Injuries have played a part in that. It happens, though. Like, that happens. He's still really good. Um, he's still probably the best guy we've LeBron ever had. But yeah, he's just, he's not going to carry your team. And on top of that, like, he hasn't been playing for his club. Like, he's not in the best form of his life either. We can't run everything through him, which is what we did. And I think your best hope against England is to actually play a little bit more compact and try to hit you on the counter. And in order to do that, you need to drop Christian Pulisic if he's not going to be playing these passes. And I don't think Greg Berhalter has the stones to do that. I think they would have been better if he took him off. And not to say that Christian Pulisic is the reason that we lost. A lot of players did some did bad things. Josh Sargent was freaking invisible. Um, you know, we basically played that whole game with 10 men. The passing map was really funny. Yeah, but like Christian Bolasic just in the second half, just refusing to play all these balls to Weya and all these balls out. Um, you know, you had players making runs down the left. Um, yeah, he had the assist. Well, yeah, when you run everything through him, he's going to come up with one big moment. If you're running everything through him, though, you need him to come up with more than one big moment. That's like saying that Zach Wilson, like, don't say Zach Wilson was bad last week because he had a really good pass at one point. Like, yeah, he's he's a quarterback of an NFL team. He's going to have you're giving them the ball on every snap. He's going to have a good pass. You need him to have more than one. And in some extra think- context for listeners, as we started recording, Zach Wilson was announced to be benched for this yes. upcoming week. Yes. So <laughs> uh, Robert Sala has the stones to bench him. I don't think that. Um, Greg Berhalter had the stones to take him off. I don't think he has the stones to drop him. And and that's one. I'm not saying he needs to be dropped. Like that's one strategy where maybe you would drop him. You could also there are strategies where Christian Pulisic is you play differently, and Christian Pulisic is in the team, and he and it's better. Um, but if it's not going well, I don't think he has the stones to drop him, and it's a problem. Yeah, I think he's also not good. He doesn't make changes. Like why do he wait so long to make yeah. changes? This is part of the problem that yeah. I think England had for a long time where you can you can try and put, you know, your best players on the pitch all together at the same time. If it doesn't work, you got to be able to adjust. You got to or even if like mid game something isn't working, you got to have the ability to tinker and realize who you have at your disposal that you can move in and put in a different role or who 
you know, you can swap out like for like whatever to try and get things to work better. Otherwise, the U.S. just seems like it's like a marketing campaign that, yeah, we'll we'll put Christian Pulisic in because we made this 20 minute documentary about how he grew up in Pennsylvania in before the match. Yeah, like, you know, like, Carl like, Sel- like Gareth Southgate sticks to his recipe, like no matter what and doesn't say, oh, it's not turning out as intended. It needs more salt or anything. He sticks with it like Greg Berhalter waits till it's completely burnt. And then and then says, oh, I'll make a change. And it's how how you you got to this level, because for three years, we've been like, you're probably not that good. And like the fact that we're and we're like, this is the most talented U.S. team we have ever had. And yeah, you won some gold. You won some CONCACAF um, competitions at home, because remember, the U.S. doesn't play away games in, I guess, the Nations League, but the finals and everything are always going to be at home. So you're. You won. You won a couple. You won a. Uh, they won the nation. Didn't they win one in a shootout, or was it extra time? Uh, it was extra time both times. They beat Mexico. In... Right, but like one of them had like a big penalty save. I guess they got they got a couple big yeah. wins against Mexico, but there were like valid questions the entire way of like they got a penalty. A really the Pulisic team. scored against Mexico. I think in one yeah, of this is a very talented team. Well, and Matt, Matt Turner had much. a had a pen save. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're not doing much. I think well, Ethan Horvath had one also. Yeah. Um, anyway, they're just they're just not doing much. And now Greg Berhalter goes to the World Cup, and it's like, whoa, you are dreadfully out of your class. Like, we knew that Wales was the must-win game. You had to win against Wales. You cannot rely on get a result against England and beat Iran and like outdo Wales. And they just yeah. didn't. Uh, you, and, and you knew that you knew that England's goal differential after this match was plus four that they had scored six goals. So like, goal differential is off the table now. If you're if you want to win the the group or anything like you need to win it outright, and that's how you manage the game. Yeah, I think um, so. Some of the key changes that need to be made. One, obviously, we did not see a good showing from Josh Sargent, and that's bad for the vibes. Uh, especially when we were kind of doing the hoof it to the big man strategy a little bit here and there with more hoof, more hoof, crossing. Even hoof though we it got to the little man. Exactly. Like, and then it, they don't even bring in Haji Wright, who was actually the big man until the 74th minute. So it's just like, what are we doing? Um, I know people want to poo poo on MLS. Uh, Jesus Ferreira had 18 goals this season. So that's actually a guy who is on your roster who is in form relatively. I know FC Dallas wasn't the best team this year, but he is somebody who was scoring goals and the very least should have some shooters' confidence, which should be useful, um, and especially since I think this team is going to have to bunker in and hit on the counter. Like we're not, you're not going to see what U.S. did against Wales against England because if you do that, then it's going to be six two again. Um, and I, the one point I liked from Alexi Lawless so far this week was he said that if, if there's any like benefit for the U.S. going into this game is they can finally like be an underdog again because they. You know, being a team that sh- was supposed to win the Wales game, I think they struggled with that because then there's the ed- expectation of they have to hold more possession, they have to be more creative, and it allowed Wales to have guys like Dan James and um, uh, Kiefer Moore just, like, be able to be there. And then all you needed was Gareth Bale to have one opportunity, which that's the only thing he was in the game for, and you gave him that opportunity, and so he was able to convert. So... If, if anything, like maybe the U.S. needs to take a page out of the Wales 
handbook for uh, when they play England because that's the only thing um, they got. Did you guys read the? Because this team has never had a striker. Like even Josie Altidore did not perform well on the stage outside of Concacaf, and he got hurt. Come on, this is Chris Wondolowski erasure, Paulie. He had. They had no strikers (laughs) that scored consistently at World Cups. Like Dempsey was like your second forward, but you, they got goals from other places. You know, they got goals on the U S used to be this counterattacking hard set piece team and set pieces are incredibly valuable at, in international football. And they, they've tried to get away from that to be like, no, we want to play with talent now and, and do this on. And somehow they've like thrown out their set pieces right oh, around the time where all the terrible. other, right around the time when all the other teams have been like, whoa, Set pieces are really valuable. Like that's why these min that's why these mid mid-sized countries and small countries are able to hang around. Like, what if we become good at them? AKA Ari, England at the last at the last World Cup. Harry Maguire. Yeah. And now we're not good at set pieces. We we're we're trying like we found we had set pieces. You know, Jermaine Jones popped in a goal in the in the last time. You have all these talented other players. Your most talented players are like attacking midfielders. Put them in a system where, like, they like you have Pulisic, you have Reyna, you have, uh, you have guys that can, that can score goals. Put them in a situation where they're gonna be able to score goals. Not, oh, they just need to keep playing within the system until we set up Sergeant. Yeah, vibes are weird, Colin. I, I think that was the <laughs> earlier point that I yeah, was the, making. The question to start yeah. this conversation. Yeah, I wouldn't even say the vibes are weird. I'd say they're bad. Yeah. I'd say they're full on bad. Did, did but you hey, guys... at least at least we have a, a hip coach that wears Jordans on the sidelines. So they yeah, got boring ass t shirt and wears a t shirt that and there's wears a t shirt that says states that was worth minus one goal right there. So you knew we needed to score two to win. And oh, conservative did you, did talking you heads a... still yes. tried to make yes. a point that it was like controversial or political. In right, some and way. it was like they... it was like if if Greg Berhalter came out and said, "No, I'm actually advocating for states' rights." <laughs> yeah, they, 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 some I saw somebody actually tweet out. They're like, "Woke Nike uh, doesn't believe in United States," and it was just like, "What?" <laughs> have you At never the time heard when we're divided? Greg Berhalter just throw have, have on you... a U.S. soccer polo and a, or a tracksuit or, or you know anything that a manager would normally wear to a World Cup, and not some track pants and a t-shirt like this is Brad. a friendly at at a whatever the stadium is out what, in Carson I City. wish Woke Nike would make some better jerseys yeah, that's I weird. wish they'd wake up to how bad their designs are <laughs> oh got them um, did you guys read my, <laughs> my you... Wales piece I wasn't sure if you were going to yeah. use that as ammo that I was I'm secretly anti-US everything but um I mean I just get that from your your current vibe right now I, in our group chat. I don't need to read your writing. I've read your texts. <laughs> uh, anyway, I just wanted to point out that, like, the Welsh National Anthem, I mean, you could see that those people were fucking ready for this. I mean, they they were already crying before the match had even started. Also, the U.S. was not. I'm so, I'm so annoyed, the US was not. I'm so annoyed and, that and... Wales took our narrative because, you know, we're so disappointed that, like, we missed the last World Cup and then Wales had to be like, Oh yeah, well we haven't been there since 1958, and it's like shut up, nobody cares. Okay, <laughs> I, I, I would Although, say I, I would say the Welsh people care. I mean, yeah, that's fine, that's cool, I guess. 
but that's um, that's like I'm part happy. of the the beauty of the World Cup or whatever is you know. I'm happy that Michael Sheen is is happy. How about that? There we go. Because he had that he had that great pep talk last month uh, when he showed up to Wales camp. It's also so, funny that but, you know, um, you know this Wales like good generation they've had seemed like they were on the down when a certain Ryan Giggs was their manager, and then the interim guy comes yeah. in and they qualify for their first World Cup in like literally sixty years. I'm just glad I'm allowed to. Uh, I can actually, with a straight face and no irony, make uh, comps between Pele and Tim Weah. So, <laughs> yeah. All right, we're we're gonna end the podcast here because we've been going on for too long. I'm definitely splitting this one into two parts, uh, which will be easy considering you know the disparity in the conversations we had. But um, thanks for listening. We'll be back sometime next week to uh, talk about England's win over the USA. And um, yeah, we'll see you next time. Dude, I'm kicking you out of the country. I'm gonna. T- I'm calling Joe Byron right now. Joe Byron. Yeah. <laughs>